This virus is in full control. Uh, it's not going to listen to us or abide by our commands and desires. I felt like I was in some Arthurian legend and getting speared by a guy with a saber. Hey, Howard, how's it going? Ah, it's fine, Paul. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm good. It's been a while since we've done one of these, and the world has turned on its axis, and things have gotten very, very strange. It's been a very, very bizarre few months. It seems like the last time we spoke was a lifetime ago. I know, and... Uh, and the strange thing is that it feels like as quickly as things got weird, everything seems to be racing back to some semblance of normalcy again, which is even more unsettling, to, given that we may be bored of the virus, but this virus isn't bored of us. Yeah, this virus is in full control. Uh, it's not going to listen to us or abide by our commands and desires. Yeah, just because we want to go out for dinner, it doesn't really factor into how it, RNA behaves. One of the things that people have been spending a lot of time doing is obviously living in lockdown, and that's not just in the United States or in New York State or California, but around the world. And that's had a bunch of different interesting impacts in terms of how people uh, exercise and how they spend their time. And with some, I think, good consequences, bad, some bad consequences and some just outright weird consequences. And I thought at the very least, it would be just to back into the topic of coming, coming in through that window lets us talk about it to something that we both spend a lot of time thinking about. So maybe we'll start there. I saw, I forget who it was, but it was a reporter at Stat News, I think, who put out a survey the other day and he was showing how I don't know, something like more than half of the people who responded, your options were, uh, a question was, a, was was about whether or not you've become fitter during this current virus and lockdown more specifically. And more than half of respondents, and this in my mind, said they'd become less fit. Now, I've been under the impression, and you can correct me, but I've been under the impression that one of the main things people were doing other than board games, puzzles, and Netflix was running. <laughs> So I thought both people would be saying, I'm much fitter than I was before. This has been great for me. Am, am I operating under an illusion here, do you think? Yeah, I think uh, much like Twitter, we can be in a bubble here. Amongst one group of friends, we are no doubt all fitter, although most of us are injured because I think we became <laughs> too fit. But right. there's another group that's far less fit. They've been eating horribly and they're not exercising anymore. Which is really interesting, right? And maybe that's your bubble points, I think, is, is right on, that, that there's a group of people that I happen to spend a lot of time talking to, present company included, and we're all out running more than ever, lifting more than ever, and doing more than ever of everything. And there's a pretty big cohort of people who just aren't that group, and they're not doing anything. And that's, that, that's really surprising. And I wonder, do you think that that's partly because an awful lot of people's main source of getting out and doing things is going to gyms and gyms are just not an option now. I, I was trying to think of other reasons other than people are just at home eating chips. Is it also because their main vehicle for fitness is gyms and they can't go to gyms? Or is that another misapprehension on my part, do you think? You know, it's interesting. I thought, a <clears throat> I thought a lot about this. There are those of us, such as you and I, for example, we have to do this. We love it. We want to challenge ourselves and we look forward to it most days. But then there are those who have to pull themselves out of the house 
every day because they know it's good for them, but they don't necessarily enjoy doing it. And yes, uh, a lot of them are heading to a gym. They're heading to work with a trainer. They're looking for someone to push them. And I think those are the ones who are suffering most. Yeah, and I and I, I don't live in New York City, so I have the luxury of being able to go out and run trails and do all these other things. My my fitness options are, are fairly broad, and so the absence of gyms doesn't really factor into my ability to go out and do stuff. But I, 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 I am reminded by this that that is by no means a universal condition, that an awful lot of people rely on things that aren't particularly important to me in terms of being active. Right, right, right. Uh, you uh, have been sending some of the most incredible pictures. I mean, <laughs> the landscapes that you have access to are just phenomenal. Yeah. My own experience, I'm typically a trail runner, but those are narrow single track trails and they just got far too crowded. So yeah. I, got, I got crowded out of a lot of trails. A lot of parks have been overrun. So it's, it's, I've just had to find different trails and different roads and just find a way to make it work. But that's the way that my mind is constructed. It's just find a way to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, we're both, I think, wired that way. So I, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how at first it was really strange for me that I, I remember early on I was spending a bunch of time running and backcountry skiing and so on. And, and I, I actually felt guilty. I sent a note to a friend of mine, he's a quasi-professional skier type, and I said, I don't think I should be doing this, not just because I think I'm creating, uh, there's an externality here, that I'm creating risk for people who might have to rescue me if something goes wrong, and that's a bad idea. But not just that, it just felt like I shouldn't be enjoying myself right now, that some, and it was a really strange feeling that I... I went through this phase where I felt like I shouldn't be doing things that seem so much like they might be something uh, other people would think I'm enjoying doing. And I don't, I don't know if I'm unique in that regard, but I sent a note to a friend of mine saying that. And he's like, dude, everybody's been going through Everyone he talks to in these mountaineering circles were going through the same, the same feeling. Like, I don't know what I should be doing. Even if it's safe, it still feels like maybe I shouldn't be doing these things because it's just wrong in the context. It was an interesting reaction. Uh, it's a bubble thing again. I think that's you and your friends, and I also think you wanted to avoid being in one of our emergency rooms. Um, <laughs> oh, for sure. For me as a physician, uh, I felt guilty because I would come home from a long run or bike ride, and I would talk to a friend from an emergency room in the middle of Manhattan who just had to intubate four, four COVID patients right. an hour. And so I really felt terrible. And like many physicians felt like I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be having fun. And I should be <laughs> on the front lines. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, as you say, maybe it's just it's a bubble phenomenon. And, and for sure, I didn't I did not want to be part of the problem in terms of not just because I didn't want to show up at an ER and suddenly catch you know COVID from being in an ER. It was like they have better things to do than deal with an idiot like me who's fallen while backcountry skiing or something <laughs> stupid, right? Agree completely. Uh, so anyway, so I wanted the, that was one of my early realizations. Now I got over that, and I, I as I I suppose it's obvious. It's, I feel like it's okay to actually enjoy going out and and being fit with certain precautions, and we can come to those in a minute. But there's other sort of strange things like. And I was talking to you about this a while back, but 
I'm newly obsessed with lung function. And I, I, you know, I was, I don't pay much attention to biomarkers or anything else. And I, like any other idiot who goes into an ER or wherever else, I notice they put something on my finger and it seems to give them a number and then they do something with it. But beyond that, I hadn't spent much time thinking about what that actually was. And of course, those are pulse oximeters. And the more time I spend thinking about COVID and thinking about having slack in your system in terms of being able to deal with compromised lung function in the context of a virus that seems to have pretty significant respiratory consequences, one of the weird side effects of all of this, and this fits into both exercising and thinking about uh, your own body in this, and learning about your body in the context of this virus, was thinking about lung capacity and pulse oximeters and things like that. I, I, that. Does that seem like madness to you, or does that seem like that's a perfectly rational response? No, it's perfectly rational. I'm looking at my pulse oximeter right now, desk. However, I, I worry the opposite as well. I, I was thinking about exercising too much and increasing my oxidative stress. And in the early days, it, it was ridiculous. Uh, we didn't know what to think and how to act. Right. And we all interpreted it differently. Right. And, and, and the only thing I knew was I didn't know enough about and this whole idea that if I have something happens that compromises lung function, I want to make sure that I've got some slack. I want to, I want to be a V12 motor that's being forced to run like a, like a four-cylinder engine rather than a four-cylinder engine that's barely able to act like a two-stroke engine. Right, right. Uh, and so I backed, I backed into the idea that this is something I needed to be more aware of. So I'll be curious to see whether both I maintain that level of interest in this in terms of lung capacity and all of a sudden home spirometry becomes a big deal or something. I don't know. Or whether or not it just is a transient thing. But it's just something I've learned is that I, I needed to pay more attention to it, which was really interesting. So you don't Let's forget maybe... any you don't forget anything you learn and but you will also be off onto your next fad relatively soon. <laughs> right. As long as it's not sleep tracking. I just I, I'm I, oh, I, I have no patience for sleep tracking. Don't so get I, us like symmetry. Tracking pulse oximetry to me seems like a really healthy practice compared to sleep. That's a separate story. So uh, we both have stories here to tell, but the the whole idea of now that we're out and we're doing things and it's okay to have a little bit of, it's okay to have a little bit of fun and, and enjoy trying to stay fit during these weird times. Let's talk a little bit about maybe best practices and people's paranoia, particularly among the worried well, but what should we not and shouldn't we be doing? Like, for example, I regularly will run by people or bike by people, and I'm generally, when I'm running or biking, I'm not wearing a mask. And I, I'm i neurotic enough that I feel badly that I'm not wearing a mask, but I'm also practically minded enough to think, I don't want to, if I have to wear a mask, I'm not doing those things because it's hard enough to operate at these levels with normal oxygen. If I have to have a mask in front of me, that's going to make things impossible. Might as well run in my room. <laughs> yeah, I'm much in the same camp. I, I cannot run in a mask, and I will not run in a mask. But I do have this neck scarf, and the only reason I do is because uh, the access points to the upper trails that I run. Uh, that's yeah. the only place where I'll, I'll run into people and they will yeah. get very upset because that's an area I can't distance from six feet. Uh, otherwise, I'll walk into a tree. 
Yeah. And I also think there's an element of, because I do bring one now and I make it visible. I think there's an element of signaling here to drag in the economic and sociology jargon, this idea that I'm I'm pl- I'm part of this. I recognize that I'm if I'm not part of the solution, I'm part of the problem and so I'm not somehow resistant to the idea that masks are important. It's just that in the while I'm running it doesn't really work very well, but I have one with me so that if those circumstances arise like at a trailhead or something else that I need to pull it up, I'll pull it up. Exactly. That's my right? take precisely. So uh, uh, the funny thing though is is I just watching Watching people's reactions is still very strange, and it's getting a little bit better right now. But I think I told I told you this story before, but I'll, I'll retell it now quickly. I was running along a narrow trail here, and there's a hillside going up on one on my left, and then a cliff on my right. And I meet this couple coming towards me. It's an older couple with hiking poles, and I, they see me a long way away, and I I slow down, and I think, okay, we're going to work our way around each other, and maybe I'll hold my breath or something. I don't know. And the older guy, as I come up, get closer, he steps halfway off the trail because he can't go too far because it's a steep, a steep uh, hillside. But then he pokes both, <laughs> both of his hiking poles out behind himself. And I said, hey, because <laughs> now it feels like I'm going through like a turnstile on a subway, right? And I'm like having to push his poles away. And I said, excuse me. And he shouted at me. He said, hey, I'm making space. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was like, I felt like I was in some Arthurian legend and getting speared by a guy with a saber. (laughs) And it was, but to him, I'm this, I'm sure felt perfectly rational. I wasn't far enough away. So he needed to make space and his hike had his hiking poles in his hands. And if he had to lance me with them, that's the way it goes. (laughs) It was really remarkable. And it just, I it stuck with me because I thought yeah, the, the the thought processes that people are going through now are really just bizarre. Yeah, we've spoken a lot about this. I have my own experiences. I don't know whether these are the worried well and this is how it's manifesting itself on the trails, right. whether it's misunderstanding, it's masks if you're under six feet, if you're over six feet and outside it's safe. But I was on a trail recently with a friend. He's running 15 feet behind me because we saw a couple 50 feet up ahead. Uh, The trail is 20 (laughs) feet wide. We got off on the other side. They walked over onto their side and started to yell at us. We couldn't hear them until we happened upon them. And they became very irate and were blistering towards us. And if really? they had a gun, I'm sure that we were dead. We were 20 feet away from them. We this was on risk. a this was on a trail or a fire road or what was it on? This was on a very wide carriage trail. Really? Hmm. So it, I think it's a misunderstanding, but it could be worried well or a combination. Yeah. But it's very unsettling, and I run into a lot of this um, when I happen upon people on these trails there are some who turn to the side and face the face the woods yes i get i get a lot of that (laughs) even if i'm 10 feet or 15 feet away i've been yelled at by other runners it's and i'm very conscious of this i have no desire whatsoever to suffer from this virus yeah no sorry no i mean we both we both don't and so the idea that 
know, my unwillingness to jump off a cliff to avoid a guy with hiking poles <laughs> somehow constitutes a, a personality flaw on my part it strikes me as wrongheaded. <laughs> I, I should have just leaped. I should have just leaped off a 500-foot cliff rather than run by this guy, and he was forced to create this arbitrary turnstile. So, I, and I'm not. And I talk to friends of mine about this, and it's everyone tells these stories that they're they're biking, and someone shouts at them who's who's on a sidewalk, and you're going by. The, the speed differential is like 20 miles an hour, and someone shouts at you as you bike by. I mean, this is remarkable. It, it maybe we should send these people to that lakeside resort in the Ozarks. They can right. work their magic there. We're yeah, not. Yeah. We're not the people they have to be worried about. No, no, not at all. I, I, I will say, however, that if I am going to be going by, I still find myself periodically that I, I am. I will find myself sometimes holding my breath. So, it's, I, I did that early on, and I thought, oh, if I'm within a couple of feet and I can't do anything else, maybe I should hold my breath, which seems stupid, honestly. And I, I but I still find myself thinking of it as I go by. That if it's really close, maybe I should just hold my breath just in case. But of course, the other side of that is if you hold your breath for more than 10 seconds, you take such a huge gulp of air that if there's any like ambient virus particles, they're going right to the bottom of your That's lungs. That's exactly right. You've studied <laughs> right. well in pulmonary. And we know the deeper that virus goes, the worse your right. infection is going to be. So I avoid that. <laughs> yeah, the whole breath holding thing is not a very good idea. Now that you're seeing, in terms of other sorts of best practices, again, back to your area more than mine, but maybe the LA area too. Would as I'm seeing gyms and things beginning to open up. Would you some would you go to a gym? If someone asked you, would you tell them they you know follow, there's some kind of safe practice that they could follow and go to a gym, or is gym still right off the menu for you? I think gyms are way down at the bottom of the list of places that should open up. Uh, yes, they can sterilize and sanitize the surfaces. But as we just articulated, you're going to be breathing deeply. They're going to be breathing deeply. So the six-foot diameter is out the window. Now it's up to yeah. 10 or 15 feet. And you're breathing deeply. So if those particles are anywhere near you, you're going to be inhaling them deeply. So yeah. un unfortunately, gyms are just off the menu for me. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I feel the same way, and I'm I'm sympathetic to the problem that these these guys are trying to do their best to open safely and introduce quotas and distances. I just I just don't see how you can do it any more than you you can't you can't test people often enough, you can't sterilize often enough, and it's just not a bet that I I want to put down. Correct. I have this argument with my father every other day. He's defied me on everything else, so he'll probably yeah. head out to his gym soon. But yeah. for now, I'm keeping him away. Yeah, I and I, I don't get it at all. And I and I hearing from people now who are beginning to go, but I, I, I just if you think about best practices here, this is that's just not one of them for me yet. I, I, I can't, I can't get there. So. Anyway, so let's let's go on from the worried well and breath holding on trails and people jabbing you with poles and what have you, and think and maybe more towards some of the 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 perils here. I've been noticing, and maybe you have too, that I have never seen so many runners since maybe 1980. <laughs> it feels like back in the day of who was that guy, the art of running guy, Jim Flick? Yes, something fix Flick, the guy that died of a heart attack after yes. running forever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, it feels to me like I've gone through a time warp and emerged from the other side and everyone is running. 
Does it does it feel like that way to you that it's become now this is because it's the only I don't know safe form of outdoor exercise people think that all of a sudden we have runners everywhere and then I want to take this somewhere but I'm just curious whether I'm the only <laughs> one who's seen that I do see more runners I see them on certain trails in certain areas and that's why I don't run there anymore right, I don't right. know it's because if it's because our schedules all got screwed up and we were all going right. at the same time as opposed to <laughs> right. staggered across the day but without a doubt I definitely saw a lot more people on the trails. So is, and this sounds like a terribly cynical question, but is that good for you? Is this good for you? Is this good business? <laughs> all of a sudden we have all kinds of people out running. And the only thing we know about if people start running a lot, all of a sudden. Well, listen, I did this to myself already with my hamstrings and Achilles. And I, I've been communicating with a bunch of top physios in our area who catered to runners and I couldn't wait until they opened back up because I was doing an video visits with some newly minted runners and some runners who decided to go from 10 miles a week to 40 and yeah. it was only a matter of time yeah. I need everyone to read my post that most running overuse injuries are due to training errors please a simple plug no no it's, I, I read it it's a great post so so, I, what what so are you seeing? Are you so you you said you alluded to having more video visits, but are a lot of these people who are over? Would you call it overuse injuries? So yes, I'm seeing a number of newly minted overuse injuries. Again, it's usually a change in pace, uh, type of trail, and most often the number of miles that they're running. And then I'm seeing. A lot of people who are starting to exercise at home, they went out and they bought a number of weights and kettlebells and they're throwing kettlebells through windows and they're <laughs> hitting they're hitting rafters. So oh, hey. I've seen a lot of home gym induced injuries. So this doesn't surprise me at all. I have uh finance side here. So I have like these hedge fund guys who are building home gyms and I hear almost on a daily basis, maybe every couple of days about somebody who's was in their home gym was, was bench pressing something and dropped a weight on their chest. Or I, I actually heard from a guy the other day who hurt his cat with his kettlebell. And I won't even get into how complicated <laughs> this was, but the bottom line is like the carnage is everywhere right now as people suddenly turn their homes into gyms and I guess get out there and start having all of these overuse injuries. So I'll be really curious to see whether or not people's main takeaway from this is going to be, we can come back to this, but w whether it's going to be that I need to get fitter or that, boy, I'm glad this is over because this whole business of being able to exercise all the time just met, led to me getting injured all the time. I think a lot of people uh, are going to find that they feel better. They're walking stairs without effort and they can manage this risk by dialing it back. I have a lot more luck trying to dial back someone's activity than I do trying to get someone to get their ass. Yeah, I, uh, as you know, I have the opposite problem, which is like an overuse monkey. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of this the other day that I, we were, and we were chatting about this earlier, but I have to now create rules for myself. So right now I'm on a, I can't really do anything for, let's say, three days minimum, maybe four on the other on the outside. And I have to be really strict with myself. Like, there's no running. There's no just an idle 
30 kilometer bike ride thing. None of that stuff. It's all out, right? I have to, <laughs> I have to be really, really merciless with myself about it because it's, it's the window is there to do it. I have the flex, the time flexibility to do it right now. And I can feel it happening already where the things that I had, I've had so many overuse injuries over the years and different sorts of strains and things. And you can, they never entirely go away. And so you, as you, the level of activity mounts up, you start to feel these things come back and it's like, well, I, this is not, this is not where I want to go. Agree completely. I, I've been wrestling with this myself as I listen to your woes and I've triggered everything in, you know, in me. And sometimes I can dial it back and sometimes I can't. When my neighbor calls and says he wants to run, I just have to run. And when I want to run two or three and he wants to go se seven or eight, my brain yeah. just says yes. I, I can't <laughs> entirely explain why. But I'm I... getting to that point, chronic fatigue, and you just know it where your legs feel dead. And before you get into your driveway, you want to come home. <laughs> so, and back to your earlier comment about a bubble, this may be unique to overuse monkeys like us but I, I, as i say i'll be curious to see and maybe this is a good time to jump over to it where this all takes us is there a newfound awareness of not just of being fit but i'll give you a specific example and it takes us back to my pulse oximeter comment earlier that early on i was fairly convinced that one of the driving factors behind the early incidents of the this outbreak as it's first emerged in Wuhan and then moved from there into northern Italy. That the thing that those places had in common, I was I was convinced, was lung health. These are some of the most northern Italy is a very industrial area. Wuhan and most of that part of China have really higher levels of particulate pollution and I and so you end up with these people with very compromised lungs and this seemed to be a, a in its worst form, this particular virus seemed to be one that led to compromised lung function, and that seemed to dovetail with the idea of, of uh, you know, PM 2.5 and particulate uh, concentrations in the lung. And I'm not sure that's been borne out. I, I'm prepared to concede that I, I may have had that. I may have had that wrong, but I think that it's raised a level of awareness about the importance of lung function, pulmonary function in general. And that maybe that's maybe that's a good thing. Leaving aside whether people end up being fit or not, just being more aware of the importance of. And you said this the other day when we were chatting about something about was it Slack or how this narrow, this fine edge that people run operate on. I, I've forgotten the exact word you used, but yeah, something to people that people who are sick, multiple medications, multiple comorbidities. They're they're living on a razor's edge. They have on a razor's edge, right? No physiological capacity to handle any excess stress. So that's why they become very sick. Uh, do I think that people as a whole, a population scale? Not a chance. Look at no. Unfortunately, I I don't think so. We have at least thirty five percent who still. We, I shouldn't laugh because that's horrific, but yes, you're right. Right? They won't wear masks, they won't dis and isolate, and they won't do the simplest things to try and avoid becoming horribly sick or dying or killing someone else that they'll never meet. So I don't hold that much hope. Certainly for me, absolutely. For our, our, our bubble, yes, uh, it will make a difference.
but for the majority of people, not a chance in hell. Yeah, I, I unfortunately, and I, we, I wrote something on this for our investors about this idea of homeostasis and that this incredible compulsion people have to get back to what they have previously deemed normal, whether that was you know, church services or going out to restaurants or avoiding wearing these really annoying things with these mask things or whatever else, leaving aside the conspiracy theorists, but even just going back to former patterns of behavior, going to malls and what have you, there is just so much latent pressure I think people feel to go back to that way of living. It gives them a level of comfort that there's just no stopping them. They are going to return to those patterns of behavior um, no matter the consequences within, well, within reason, I suppose. I, I, I suppose a catastrophic Northern Italy-style outbreak would slow that down. But my, and maybe this is a good place to take this conversation, is that Thinking about where it goes from here, I, there's a lot of my my greatest fear is in Michael Osterholm, who's one of our, I suppose, more prominent in epidemiologists, infectious disease researcher types, posited a couple of different scenarios in terms of where things go from here. The, the, the slow burn model, right? The the, the the giant second wave, the a series of waves. yeah, right. a series of oscillating waves. My fear is that this more or less recedes from view this summer for a whole bunch of different reasons. And people declare victory and think this was all it was all kind of overdone or, or maybe that all of our modest attempts at social distancing and masks and whatever else solved the problem. And like I said earlier, the, the, this virus is not bored of us yet. And you said this many times to me that we're in an immunologically naive population, and at best, from the serum studies we've seen, it's what fifteen percent, twenty percent, maybe many areas are less than five percent. Right. There's no reason to expect it stops here. Whenever the next pattern of concentrated people locked in buildings this next fall, as weather turns colder and so on, and it worry, my worry is, as we declare victory, and then suddenly we hit next October, November, and we're right back where we were. I don't know, eight, eight, eight weeks ago. I, yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you. I mean, you and I have been dealing with the thought of this pandemic since the middle of January. I know. Uh, I know. It's, 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 it feels like it's been going forever inside my our, our conversations, right? So, And friends and family of mine who I happened to share it with all thought I was an absolute Right. And now they look at me as some expert. Uh, <laughs> of course, I'm just an right. orthopedic surgeon. Not an expert. But listen, I, I think, look what happened. Look, look what's happening at the food manufacturing plants. Right. 11,000 workers here, you know, 500 here. This is going to... To compromise the uh, supply chain in our nation. It certainly yeah. has the risk of doing so. Yeah, and in particular, if we convince ourselves that we've dodged a bullet, whether through, as I said, you know, contact tracing, masks, uh, social distancing, or whatever else, and don't realize that one of the weirdest things about viruses is that some are seasonal and some aren't, and we don't actually know why. We can, we've can. we got all kinds of cockamamie theories about why that might be, 
and you'll hear people babble about humidity and temperature and all these other things. And then, and then they'll be perfectly happy to say, well, Florida is, had not had a problem because of heat and humidity. But you say, well, how about Brazil, which is hotter and more humid, right? Well, that's different. So we've got all of these convenient pat theories. And the reality is, is we don't know why viruses become seasonal. But the, the preponderance of coronaviruses of the whatever six we know of are seasonal viruses, even in this immunologically naive population, there's an awful lot of reason to expect that we, if it's not now, that sometime in the, the fall, uh, we have a second and fairly dire wave of this thing. And I, I just, I really shudder at the thought of what that would put us, especially during an election cycle, not to introduce politics, but that would just be the worst time possible for, an, for a, US, a US resident. As a physician, it worries me enormously. I know so very well my colleagues. Yeah. And not just the healthcare system as a whole, but make that system work. And I'm including everyone who works in it. They suffered enormously through. Yeah. I'm not sure they can do it again. No, I don't know, I don't know what will happen. I, I'm not convinced either. And that's. And that's separate from the, whether or not we have enough protective gear and ventilators and everything else. It's just the human ability to go through this. I, I was equating it the other day. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, an emergency physician in, in Los Angeles, and he was talking about it as he just felt like he's done too many tours of duty in Vietnam, and he has that thousand-yard stare, right, where it's just, I just can't keep doing this. It's burning me out, and I don't know if I can... It, even though it's settling down a little bit right now for him, he said the thought of a fall wave of this, he said, makes me want to move to Iceland. I, I can't <laughs> even imagine. I, my involvement was most call. Uh, I take call at a level one trauma center, so it can be pretty busy. But you drive up in the parking lot, you strap on your mask, and that thing is not coming off for eight hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're bruised and you're blistered. And face hurts and you're afraid of everyone who's walking past you and the virus is in the air it's just so it's so it's so laborious uh, it mentally draining and it's physically exhausting and i wasn't even in the icus with these i i have nothing but the utmost respect for people who did that for days after days after days but it does turn into too many tours of duty in, in yes <laughs> in vietnam so i'll I, let's end on a mildly positive note that i was thinking about the other day that one of the reasons why i'm convinced and the data seems to bear this out that some southeast asian countries who were geographically proximate to to china had a lower incidence and a, a more tempered outbreak was because they had scar tissue from sars back, what is it 2002 2003 and the, the the systems were in place, not just government systems, but individual at the family level. People knew what to do and how to distance and how to hide away whenever something like this broke. They didn't have to wait for the government. to. And my mildly optimistic take here is if we do have a second wave, there will always be the crazies who say this is nothing. It doesn't matter. It's just the flu or whatever other crazy <laughs> song line they come out with. But there will be a huge cohort of people who say, I know what to do. I've been through this before. It's not like I have to look back to 1918. I have to look back to five months ago, and I have all this stuff right here. I can distance right now. I agree with you 
hundred percent. I think that's what happened in Georgia and why we didn't see rush of infections when they reopened because stay in. Uh, right. That happened all around the country prior to the mandatory shutdowns as well. I right. think people heed what the experts were saying and they did it and they took it upon themselves. Right. And the data shows that. And even in Florida, the, the level of distancing that was happening before politicians got around to telling people what to do was at a level that was probably indistinguishable from what was going to happen afterwards, that they'd already begun to take action. And as I said, my, my analogy is this is what happened in Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, that, that citizens had seen this before, not even barely over a decade ago and, and a smaller scare since. So they were no longer naive about what they needed to do. And my mildly optimistic take here is that whatever happens in the next wave or an upcoming wave is that we now have enough scar tissue here that people won't wait, that people will take action and that that will help to head off at least some degree, whatever, whatever is in our future here. I hope we're right. Anyways, that's my mildly optimistic take. Even if nobody <laughs> believes that people are going to be worried about pulse oximeters going forward, at least we'll be scared <laughs> enough to put on masks, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, thanks, Howard. Sure, Paul. Thank you. This is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. And we will not respond to requests for medical advice.